Good morning, everybody. My name's Mark. You guys probably know me. Most of you know me. If you don't know me, um, I'm, uh, I'm part of the teaching team. I'm also a bass player and a piano player and uh, a light guy, too. So. Um, but if this is your first time here at the mission, I, I think I see a few new, pe- new faces. Maybe you've been here before, but this is a perfect week to be here because this is our, our st- we're starting a series that's called The Wait. The Wait is Over. And uh, so, you know, the question is, what are we waiting for? Well, I, you know, let's get right to it. Um, how many of us are waiting for Christmas? Right? I mean, we're excited for Christmas. We're, um, you know, maybe some of us just can't wait till Christmas is over. So a couple of people back here. Um, so Christmas sometimes brings up different, different things for different people. But I love Christmas as much as anyone. Um, but am I the only one who's kind of like amazed by how Christmas is now, like starts in a Halloween and, um, and it just doesn't seem to stop. Um, I, I don't know, we get, to, we get to Costco on Halloween and it's like already he got the Christmas lights going, it's, it's nuts. It used to be like when I was a kid, it seemed like Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving was kind of, all right, it's time for Christmas. But, um, but now it seems like it, it, whenever they want to start selling stuff, that's when it starts. But even I, as I was writing this sermon, it's funny because I was thinking about waiting for Christmas, and then my wife was like putting up Christmas decorations. It was like Monday or Tuesday of this week, and I was thinking, it's not time yet. We're not, it's not ready yet. And I was kind of feeling a bit like conflicted about, you know, waiting for Christmas. Um, I'm really excited for Christmas this year. Um, you know, kids and, and stuff make Christmas a lot of fun. Um, but I, I used to wait, when I was a kid, I remember Christmas was like, uh, well, maybe not kid, when I was in college, in high school and college, I remember Christmas was like, didn't start until Christmas break for me. It was, it was because I, I like to have a deadline. I like, you know, for me, Christmas Eve is the perfect day to buy Christmas presents because <laughs> there's like a deadline and I can't procrastinate anymore. And, um, and uh, when I remember going to the mall, like I'd love to go to the mall on Christmas Eve because it was just like there was this rush of people kind of like me who just been waiting too long and there's like most of the stuff is gone but what is there like decreases your choices you have three choices you got you know and uh, I just love Christmas at the mall um, because I don't know about you guys but uh, the lights and the, sa- the Christmas music and then just the smell of Cinnabon does anybody remember that I love Cinnabon and uh, I used to be able to eat that but now I just get I just gain weight when I eat that stuff, so. so now I don't even go to the mall anymore. I actually just go to Amazon. We, we did pretty much finished our Christmas shopping, I think, on Amazon. They just deliver it to your front door, and, uh, and Christmas is a lot less stressful. But, um, and, and as Christians, we talk about Christmas, and we talk about not just Christmas like buying presents and stuff, but we really talk about the, the reason for the season, right? And... As we focus our hearts this season, this Christmas season, on the Savior of the world coming to the earth, how many of us are still kind of waiting for something, waiting for maybe a Savior? Jeff kind of talked about it. We, we sometimes we look toward political leaders to save us. Or we, we believe in the power of our bank accounts to save us. Or we, we hope that that next big purchase it's going to save us or help us fulfill us. And we look to the next promotion at work or the next big break that we're going to get that 
will finally help us to feel like we've arrived and we have met this fulfilled life. And yet, we're not all, diff- all that different from the ancient Israelites who were 2,000 years ago where they were waiting for a Savior. They were waiting for a Savior. And I, I, like I said, I wish it was just kind of isolated to those Israelite people, those ancient people who kind of were primitive and they didn't understand. But we all wait for a Savior. For some of us, there's this hole in our heart that no amount of possessions or, or, or things can fulfill. You guys know that? that? That cool electronic device. I just got a new computer, which was really awesome. It's kind of like my birthday and my Christmas present combined. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, you know, you, have, you get these new things, you're all excited about it, but eventually kind of the shine wears off and we just don't get fulfilled by stuff anymore. Um, we, we long really to be known by our Creator, by God, and have that relationship with God. And, 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 and that relationship with God, it can't be, it can't be fulfilled necessarily by, even by keeping, keeping, good, keeping the law, keeping, keeping the rules straight, doing it all right, like living up to this standard. It doesn't, it doesn't always make it, make it work. That this relationship that we have with God, it can be frustrating if, if we just look at it through the eyes of religion. Because... For us, sometimes it's easy to follow the rules or, or just to kind of keep out of trouble and, and find those uh, following the rules uh, type, of, type of religion, but that doesn't fulfill us either. Some of us, like, look for justice in the world. They look for, they look for peace or they look, we look for, for things to be right with the world, and we can, we can see that our human leaders, they don't, uh, they don't save us either. So the sense of longing for a savior, whether it's with stuff or with our relationship with God, trying to follow the rules, or maybe even, you know, hoping for something better in, in the world, that's the kind of sense that the Old Testament followers had, the Israelites had as well. And so um, as we're going to kind of go through this, this series, we're going to talk about how the Old Testament really points to the Savior that is Jesus Christ. So I'm going to kind of go through that, but, but I want to start, I, I want to, I, I, this kind of, this analogy pointed, was pointed out to me that, um, that kind of all roads lead to the Savior. And it, it kind of reminded me, how many of you guys use a GPS app on your phone? I mean, pretty much all of us do now, right? I use Waze. Anybody have Waze? Waze is awesome, especially if you're driving around. LA area all the time, and you, got, you get, you get kind of, you can kind of go around traffic sometimes. Sometimes you end up in weird places. Like, I remember, um, I remember a couple, maybe like nine months ago, Jason and I were actually going to, uh, to the um, uh, Staples Center for a basketball game to see, well, obviously, there's another team that plays there, but the real team that plays there is the Lakers. Um, obviously. I mean, I, I don't see, I didn't see, I, we went to the Staples Center, we didn't see any, any banners for the, um, for the Clippers, so I think that the Lakers are the only ones, maybe the Kings play there too, but, but the Cl- Clippers didn't have any, um, any banners up, so I think it was just, anyhow, um, how did I get, how did I get, I think I offended everyone, that's, like, I know there's lots of Clippers fans, so I'm sorry about that, but, um, but anyways, 
So we're going, it's like a Thursday night, just a normal Thursday night, and uh, we're going to the Laker game, and it's downtown LA. Even though it's Thursday night and we're going against traffic, it's like not easy to get to LA, right, at rush hour trying to get to this game. So we bring up the Waze app, and Jason was driving, and I had the, I was the navigator. And what was happening was we were like, we got off the freeway in like East LA somewhere, and we were just like making lefts and right through these like really sketchy neighborhoods. And I remember thinking like, I hope we don't have to stop too long. Um, <laughs> um, but the truth is like all roads in LA lead to the Staples Center where the Lakers play. And, um, <laughs> and we finally made it there. And, and I mean, I, okay, so full disclosure, the Lakers lost that game. And, Jason, and Jason's like, he's a big uh, fan of, of Cleveland, right? And we were playing Cleveland. And uh, yeah, I mean, he follows like all the Cleveland teams. There's just one that actually won a championship recently. But everything else has been like 50 years. <laughs> I know, just kidding. So, um, so anyways, he, he was pointing out, like, like, the thing I loved about that game was he was pointing out, like, there's a guy out there, he has, he has scored 57 points, can you believe that, 57 points? And I said, there's a guy out there that scored 62 points in three quarters. His name's Kobe Bean Bryant, he didn't know about that guy, but anyways, he's now retired. But I don't know how I got into basketball, but anyhow, back, back, to, back to the point. All roads in L.A. lead to downtown L.A. All roads in Southern California basically lead to downtown L.A., even if you're using that Waze app. It'll get you there. And the truth is, all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. So that's, that's kind, of, um, kind of what we're going to talk about as we, as we go through this next section of Scripture. So today we're going to talk about whether you read the Old Testament or the New Testament, that the whole of the Bible is pointing to the risen Savior. Even some of those Old Testament parts, you know the parts that, uh, that you read, I don't know, if, how many of you guys, in January 1st, most of us will start, you know, a, a Bible reading plan, and um, by about March, you get to Chronicles, or you get to something, and you're just like, I have no clue what is going on here. This does not make sense. I don't know why I'm reading this. It's so confusing. God, why did you write this down? And if we get, if we start reading it like that, it can get a little bit tired and old and like, you know, boring, but there's all these kind of cool things that happen in the, in the Old Testament as well. There's these battles, and, and there's, you know, those kind of crazy laws that, that, that there has, and there's these prophets that, that talk about what, what's coming, and there's, then there's those cool sections like the genealogies that get really boring, um, and sometimes it doesn't always feel relevant to us, right? These stories are cool, but we don't always kind of understand how is it relevant. So um, we're going to talk about through this series about how um, that the, the whole of Scripture really is, is important. It's not, it's not just the New Testament that we should read. We love the New Testament. I mean, if you're not a church person, you might be like, I don't like that Old Testament. God just seems so, you know, mean and judgmental. And, you know, maybe even if you were left the church or you, you kind of left um, Christianity, it's probably, it may be even because of that. You're like, ah, I don't believe in a God that could be that way. But that's, that's one way of looking at it. Sometimes as Christians, we look at the New Testament. We say, we love the New Testament. We love Jesus. And we love those stories of what he could do, the miracles and the healings. And then we love the, the stories of the, the, new, the church as it, as it grew um, in Acts and then throughout the, the uh, 
scriptures that, that Paul wrote and all of, all of those letters, and we love that stuff, but we don't, like, we look back at the Old Testament and think, yeah, it doesn't really seem relevant to me anymore. Some of us love the Old Testament because we can point to where everyone else is doing things wrong, right? We can hold up the, the world and say, look, they do not follow all these laws that God had. And we feel self-righteous and we feel wonderful about the fact that pretty much we, we get through those Ten Commandments pretty well for most part, most of the days, except when I did, you know, that one day. But most of the time we do okay and we love to hold other people accountable for, for, the, for the Old Testament. So anyways, I think there's different ways of looking at the Old Testament that, sometimes, that are all somewhat flawed. And uh, so we're going to talk about this, this part of Scripture where, where, um, in Acts where Paul is... is Describing the Old Testament in light of Jesus, in light of the, 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 the actual good news, the Savior of the world. And uh, to, as we talk about that, that section of Scripture, I mean, so Paul, I'm just going to kind of set the scene here. Paul, he's uh, giving this sermon to a Jewish synagogue in Antioch. And I know... You probably think, you know, that Antioch, obviously the one in Syria. No, no, not that one. It's the one in Turkey. I, I was reading this, and I was like, I thought there was another Antioch. And anyways, so he goes from Antioch. He goes to Cyprus, and then he gets to, anyways, he gets to, like, t- modern-day Turkey. And now he's in a different place called Antioch in Turkey. You guys probably didn't need to know that, but I just thought it was interesting. I was confused at first. I was like, I thought he just left Antioch. Why is he back at Antioch anyways? So... Paul is cool because he's always thinking about who he's talking to. He's not just, you know how Paul actually talked to, the, to those who were Gentiles. He was like known for how well he t- spoke to the Gentiles because he could, he could kind of understand their, their side of it. You know, but Paul actually comes from the Jewish tradition. He's like the best Jew there ever is. He, he, he was able to kind of like, he, he knew the law and the prophets. He knew this well and and he also knew what these, these people in, sitting in the synagogue would know about God. And so he takes, he takes this tactic of, of looking at it from their perspective and, and, and describing Jesus through their perspective. So um, with that in mind, he starts this in Acts 13. And he says, he's, he starts in Acts 13, verse 16 through 25. We're going to start right there. 16 through 25. So Acts 13, 16 through 25. And he starts this sermon. And I'm super sorry that this is a, such a long section of scripture, but I, I think it's important to see how the, how the trajectory of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. So, so we're going to go through this whole thing here. So standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and he said, fellow Israelites, remember he's talking to those in, in the synagogue who are Jewish, and you Gentiles who worship God, that's, that's people who have converted now to Christianity. Listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. And he made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. So he's kind of reminding them that they came out of Egypt. He was, he was, he was, uh, they, God rescued this Israelite people out of Egypt. And with a mighty power, he led them out of that country. And then for about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. He, he still had this covenant relationship with the Israelites. He said, I'm going to endure all this with you. And then he overthrew the seven nations in Canaan, giving their land, that's Canaan, that's Israel now, we, we know of. Um, he gave that land to his people as their inheritance. And all of this took about 450 years. So he talks about that first, first 
part of history where, um, where God brings, like, take, makes this covenant with the people of Israel, and then he leads them out of Egypt, and he puts them in, into the land of Canaan, the promised land. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David their king. And God testified concerning him, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So God doesn't just, just uh, you know, rescue them out of Egypt and place them in the promised land. He, starts, he begins to give them leaders who will lead them well. And David is, the, is the, kind of the supreme um, king that, that, that all of Israel would look up to because he was a man after God's own heart. He would do anything or everything that I want him to do. That's what, that's what God says. So next it says this, from, his, from this man's descendant, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Again, that's part of that, that uh, Old Testament prophecy. God promised a Savior. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. So again, he's, he's even telling a story about what just happened maybe 50 years prior to, this, to, to them writing, to them this, this sermon, where John the Baptist, or maybe even 30 years, which John the Baptist is, is pointing to the Savior Jesus who would come. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So Paul basically, in three paragraphs there, sums up the whole of the, of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets, he talks about the leaders. Because humanity is groaning for this relationship for, with God. See, at the time of the Old Testament, back in the, in the days of where, when, when he called Israel, when God called Israel, people thought of, of, of gods, and they didn't just think of one God, they thought of many gods who were angry with them. And, and the, the relationship that you had with the gods was, that you just, that if you, you had to, you know, appease the gods, and you didn't know what that meant, sometimes it meant, you know, sacrificing things, or, I mean, uh, animals or people sometimes even, um, and that was, that was kind of the, the way that people related to gods back then, and, and the one true God came to Israel and said, no, I am not going to do that, that's not how I relate with people, I'm going to call you. I'm going to make a relationship with this nation and things are going to change. And in that, in that place, the God of Abraham chose the people of Israel and he showed favor to them. And he had this, like I said, covenant relationship with them. And it was a, it was a, it was a relationship not with individual people, like we, we think of God now as a, having a personal relationship. It was really a, a relationship with a nation. And throughout the Old Testament, we see how God provides for Israel. He rescues them. He loves them. He, he even punishes them, like when they get out of line. But he punishes the whole people. Sometimes he'll punish a, a specific person who's, who's out of line, but really it's about God's relationship with the people of Israel. So that's, that's the difference, I think, than what we think as, as 
kind of New Testament Christians, we think of this personal relationship. Well, back then, as, as Paul was speaking to this group, it was really this relationship that, that God had with the whole nation of Israel. And, he, and it, was, it was not related to those who were outside of the nation of Israel, those Gentiles we talked about. So that's kind of the, the tension that was set up in, this whole, in all of the New, the New Testament church. So he basically, again, God, I mean, uh, Paul shows this, this uh, history of Israel through the lens of God's grace and how he saved Israel out of Egypt with the leadership of David, and he's also calling them and showing them that Jesus is coming. That is this gospel of grace. And at that point, they were waiting for this leader to rescue them. So, Paul continues, and he talks in, in uh, Acts 13, verses 26 through 37. I'm sorry, through 34, I think we're going to go through right now. How God's ultimate provision of grace is embodied in, in Jesus Christ. So let's go right there. So fellow children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us. Again, he's pointing out that it's not just the children of Abraham in this, sitting in, this, in the pews th- that day, that it was also those, those who, were, um, who were not Jewish, who were fear, God-fearing Gentiles. It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. So again, he says, remember all those prophets that you guys know Jesus is coming? You know there's a Savior coming? You know there's a Messiah? You missed it. They read it every Sabbath, and yet you missed it. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross, and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. See, that's the ultimate story of Christmas, is that God was, Jesus was born, and he died, and he was raised from the dead. And this is the cool thing right here. It says, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. So it's not just that God was raised from the dead and everybody just kind of believed it. Jesus was, was raised from the dead and people saw him all over the place. And that is what spread the gospel that, that, that God saves because there's no longer death. And now these same people, they are now his witnesses to our people. So those people that saw Jesus, they were coming around all of the known world and saying, hey, I saw the risen Jesus. I mean, he said he was going to die. He died and he rose again. That's, that's like an amazing feat. And I'm going to follow that Jesus, Right? So this is the good news. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. And it's written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So this is, again, pointing to the prophecy that Jesus is coming through the lineage of David. 
So Paul kind of gives us this twist at the end there. He shows that even the risen, living Jesus was the whole point of the Old Testament and the prophets. He, he even kind of pokes it in their eyes saying, you guys write, read this every Sabbath and you missed it. So, okay, so what? So, I mean, so, if, so what's Paul asking them to do with that fact? With, okay, so we missed that Jesus was coming. Now we know he's coming. He came and now he's, he's with us. He's risen from the dead. So Paul gives this invitation to everyone who heard this message. In verses 38 through 41, he says this, he kind of sums it up. Therefore, so in light of the fact that the Old Testament law and prophets and the leaders that God has provided, that grace that God has provided the nation of Israel, in light of all of that, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. See, see the law doesn't work. For individuals. It works well for the nation of Israel, but for individuals, we, we just can't keep that. It's hard. So through Jesus Christ, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. He's giving them a warning. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if somebody told you. So Paul stresses God's grace, not only in providing the leaders, in providing rescue out of Egypt, but what I love is that he shows how Jesus is sent because we aren't able to free ourselves under the law. We can't justify ourselves by the law of Moses. Paul is pointing out that what the first century Jews knew kind of intuitively and what we all kind of know intuitively, we aren't able to live up to God's standards. They, see, see, the law, it, it didn't free them. They weren't living in freedom they were living in this bondage to the law and they, were, they weren't even able to do it. So he's saying to the Jewish people as well as the Gentiles who had now accepted Jesus that this good news, this gospel of grace was for all people. Not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, but all people. And he's saying, look, the wait is over. You're no longer in bondage. You're free. You are free. And these stories, not just the prophecies, but the story of God's law revealed in that Old Testament, it's building to a climax on Christmas morning and ultimately on Easter. See, we're all longing for a bridge to this right relationship with God, to be justified. And Paul knew that for this first century, century Jewish community, there was something beyond their religious practices or the rules that they held up to or the Old Testament. Really, it wasn't pointing to that. It was pointing to the grace of God through the story of a man who came not as a political leader or a military leader, 
That was what they were hoping for. That was what they were expecting. They were expecting the next King David to come and save them. But there wasn't a king. It was just a baby. He came in the most humble and unassuming way on that Christmas morning. And at that moment in history, everything changed because the wait was over. And in our lives today, that same living, saving grace that Jesus brought 2,000 years ago, it's available to us. See, all roads before and after that incredible moment, they point to the one. They point to the one we're all longing for. They point to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And if we can open our hearts to that fact, if we can live up to, not, not if we can't live up to our own standards, we can't live up to God's standards, but we can believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And he didn't come to change politics, and he didn't come to be a great teacher, and he didn't come to be a reason for the season. He came to humbly show that God loves us so much. He loves us so much that he gave his son. He gave us two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. And that's the message of Christmas. That God so loved us so that we can love. That's a radical message. That's a, a love that's so transforms the whole world. Over the next few weeks, we're going to examine some of these Old Testament texts that you might have skipped over, or maybe you've read them, but you just don't understand how they pertain to us. And I want you to ask, you, ask yourselves a question as you're reading through these Old Testament scriptures. I want you to ask this question. How do these ancient scriptures in the Old Testament give us a glimpse into the story of Jesus? How do these ancient scriptures in the Old Testament give us a glimpse into the story of Jesus? That's the question we're going to ask over the next few weeks as we look towards the story of Christmas. So I hope you're going to join us next week. Um, you know, I, I, I think we're going to fo- focus on Psalms. Ricardo's going to be here. And Psalms is, going to, is, a, is a great place to, to start when we talk about Um, the glimpses of Jesus in the Old Testament. And if we live out this gospel of grace, what's our life going to look like? What's it going to change? How's it going to change the world? I think this gift of grace that God sent so long ago, it, it helps us to remember that it's not just about following the rules. It's about loving one another, loving those around us, loving with such a radical love that it's contagious. And that's what was happening in Acts when Paul was preaching to these people because it was contagious. That fact that I don't have to live up to this. God did everything for me. Jesus came and died for me and he's alive now because he conquered death. That, that is contagious. And that's the good news that came on Christmas Day. We don't have to wait any longer. The wait is over. The wait is over. So as the ushers come 
and the worship team comes up, let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for coming so many years ago as our Savior. God, we look oftentimes for a Savior. We look for it in our own lives. <laughs> we look for that next thing. But God, we know that you sent your son Jesus to save us. We don't have to look any longer. We're so thankful that the wait is over, God. Help us to believe it. Help us to live like it. Not to just follow the rules, but to love one another as you love us. And as the ushers come and, and, and we, we bring our offerings to you, God, we just ask that you would bless them. Help them to reach our neighbors. Help them to reach the ends of the earth, God. We know that you can multiply what little we have to make a big impact on the kingdom because you sent that little baby who became a king. A king to our hearts. So that now we can be free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.